you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information visit commongroundcma.org. But as we continue on to 1 Peter, uh, we'll see uh, his call uh, to action, how we should live our lives, how we should live the good life in the midst of suffering. And so, um, yeah, we will be finishing up chapter 1, and uh, I would actually like to begin with where we will hopefully be ending um, with uh, sort of our, our landing point, our theme. And um, yeah, as we go through, uh, be uh, thinking about this and how this might apply um, both throughout the text, but then in our own lives and uh, especially with uh, COVID-19 as we are going through a, a very challenging time, a, a type of suffering. And uh, that, that theme is living in accordance to God's word allows us to experience life in the fullness that he intended. Now, I want to be careful because there are uh, some ways that you can take this that is not what I'm trying to get at. Now, the things that it is not, if you look at that first little bit, living in accordance with God's word, the fear would be uh, is like, oh, is he talking about legalism? Like there's all these rules in God's word that I need to follow. And that is not it. This is not going to be a sermon on uh, any sort of legalism or a uh, call to follow uh, the rules. Um, someone might look at um, allowing us to experience life and think, oh, we'll flip to the other side in license, in that experiencing life is both experiencing the good things, but also maybe the not-so-good th- things. And uh, I think of um, Paul uh, when... Um, he is writing and saying that uh, should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. This is this is not meant to, um, yeah, be uh, a a sermon talking about everything that uh, we should try and do in order to uh, have a full experience of this life. But also um, that ending bit, that fullness that he God intended. Uh, this is a lot of times when we think of fullness, we think of good things, having a full, fulfilling, good life. And a lot of times we have a uh, a misunderstanding of what good actually is. And um, a lot of times that leads people to some sort of like prosperity gospel. This is not going to be uh, a prosperity gospel message. And so. With that, we do have a lot to get through, and so let's dive into the text. We will be in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. So you turn with me there. And it begins, therefore. Oh my goodness. One word in. Therefore. The question is, when you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? And uh, if you were here last week, we heard a, an amazing message from Justin Gwynn uh, talking about um, the, the first half of chapter 1 where he lays down this foundation of hope, this hope that we have in an inheritance that is kept for us in heaven, that is incorruptible, undefiled, and it does not fade away. And that hope for this inheritance is essentially the gospel story. And while commentaries are great, and there are a lot of smart people who have written a lot of very intelligent and astute things concerning the Bible, I actually think that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. 
my uh, stepdad likes to call uh, other forms of commentary ABC gospel, already been chewed gospel, already been chewed commentaries. And that it, it can have truth, and oftentimes it does, but yeah, it definitely has a, a certain bias and a certain perspective in what the commentator was trying to um, portray about the Bible. And so, uh, in looking at uh, the gospel message, this hope that we have, I actually think that Ephesians 2 uh, is a great portrayal of the gospel message. So if you would turn with me to Ephesians 2, uh, but keep a finger in 1 Peter, because we will be returning there. Ephesians 2, verse 1, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So uh, Paul, the author of this letter, is speaking to a church here um, who uh, was trying to understand their place as the church as it related with Christ. And so he's saying that we were once uh, in our sin, dead in our trespasses and in our sin, um, subject to the course of this world, uh, the prince of the power of the air, um, and yeah, essentially lost. But Look at the beginning of verse 4. But God. Man, I cannot think of a better phrase in all of Scripture. But God. If you think about it, God, someone who is perfect, holy, just, but also merciful, loving. The, the God who sent his son into the world to die for us. And but a, a conjunction. Uh, Symbolizing uh, in literary terms a movement, comparing uh, one thing to another of contrasting uh, comparison. And so we see this movement from something, whatever it is, contrasted to God. A movement from something unlike God to God. And every time that you see this phrase in the Bible, there is this amazing movement from something unlike God to God. And so we always end with our eyes affixed on God and the goodness, the holiness, the justice, the love, the mercy that he portrays. And so, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us together in the heavenly places, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast." So we see this movement. We were dead in our trespasses, but God, this movement to God in his uh, rich mercies uh, laid out this promise and this way for us to come back to him through Jesus Christ. And it is a gift from him, not of works. Be uh, yeah, very clear about that. There is nothing that we can do 
to earn God's favor and earn his grace. It was a gift, lest anyone should boast. But that's not it. It finishes the section in verse 10. And instead of reading it, uh, I would actually like to uh, uh, play a video that my family recorded concerning this verse. For those that don't know, those are my four amazing and lovable siblings. Um, And uh, yeah, uh, Ephesians 2.10 has been a memory verse in our family for years. Um, And I think it actually connects us back to 1 Peter very well. And so Paul in this letter, he, he lays out, we were dead in our trespasses, but God. And this amazing gift that he gives us. And all of that is because we are his workmanship. We are his, uh, uh, the pinnacle of his creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so, though it was not a gift that we earned through our works, he created us for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, uh, wrapping up, let's turn back to First Peter with this verse in mind as well, that uh, we were created for good works. That was God's design for us. And so continuing on in First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore, because of this uh, hope of the gospel, some versions say, preparing your minds for action. I'm reading the New King, New King James here, and it uses the phrase, gird up the loins of your mind. And I think that is just fantastic imagery. Now, uh, in the, in the culture of the time, um, the, the common attire was very long robes. And, uh, while that is, uh, very, um, loose and comfortable, uh, for day-to-day life, um, anything very active or strenuous, uh, the robes could get in the way. And so there was a, uh, a practice of um, sort of like um, gathering up all of the extra material and wrapping it around your waist, kind of like a diaper. And uh, that was uh, called girding up your loins and was oftentimes done uh, in preparation for going to battle so that you could have the, the mobility, the freedom of movement, um, any sort of like hard labor, um, any sort of athletic, uh, strenuous activities. And so he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. And so there is a, a very like serious, almost militant connotation to this, that uh, we need to be preparing for something strenuous, something active, something challenging. And this reminds me of uh, the beginning of Hebrews 12, actually. And we need to back up to Hebrews 11 to fully understand that. You don't have to turn there. But Hebrews 11 um, is what a lot of people will call the Hall of Faith. A lot of times we hear the Hall of Fame in sports and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, this is the biblical Hall of Faith. And it says um, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And so back in First Peter, we've been laying down this foundation of hope. Well, faith is the assurance of that hope. 
and it goes through a lot of the the pinnacles of the Old Testament uh, figures, uh, people like Abraham, um, Joseph, Rahab, uh, Noah, um, all of these people who experienced challenges, experienced forms of uh, suffering or trials in their life, but they had faith because their hope was laid in something uh, eternal, something foundational in God. And so, um, because of that, they were uh, commended for their actions. And so, uh, going through all of these uh, people, their, their actions of faith, we come to chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, uh, yeah, yeah, see, that's why we started in chapter 11. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these people who went before us in the faith and um, were uh, diligent and remained faithful, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So again, this call to action, something uh, physically strenuous. And um, again, back in First Peter, this, this girding of the, the loins of your mind um, to be able to, to run a race, if you will, um, that we would be uh, diligent and um, serious as we consider this. Back in First Peter, therefore gird the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, um, to be clear, uh, this this grace that is to be brought. And he's like, wait a second. I thought I thought we already had the grace when Jesus died on the cross, and that's true. We we have um, the uh, the guarantee, the the promise of the fulfilled grace. But that grace um, is to be fulfilled when Christ comes back to redeem everything unto Himself, and we are living with Him forever in heaven. And so I'm actually really glad that this isn't it, because if it was, and this is the the perfect Job, it's pretty disappointing. And so we have this hope for the grace that is yet to be brought to us. In 1 Peter, uh, in the beginning of 1 Peter here, in chapter 1, verse 4, it talks about this incorruptible inheritance that is reserved in heaven for us. And so we, we are still waiting for the complete fulfillment of this promise. In Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And so we have received the Holy Spirit now, but that Holy Spirit is meant to be the, the seal upon our lives, the guarantee, the mark to show that we are waiting for this eventual fulfillment of the promise, this inheritance. So continuing on, verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming to yourself, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your, uh, as in your uh, ignorance, sorry, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. 
Now, this phrase, be holy for I am holy, is a quote from the book of Leviticus. And it actually appears um, specifically in this um, in its completion, be holy for I am holy, four different times. But throughout you see um, fragments of it. Either be holy, da-da-da-da-da-da, or da-da-da-da-da, for I am holy. Uh, but this phrase, be holy for I am holy, um, always came at a time in explanation of the law. So God would, would lay out a section of law and say, this is, this is why. I am, I am commanding you to do these things, to be holy, because I am holy. Now, holy is um, a, a word that means to be set apart, to be uh, designated for um, reverence, to be uh, worthy of honor, oftentimes paired with sanctification, which is the, the action of being set apart. Um, and so we see that uh, God here is declaring, like, I want you to be holy because I am holy. And the, the challenge with this, um, the, the thing to be careful with is that, um, yeah, there is this, this call to action to be holy for I am holy. And uh, the fear, like I said, of um, at the beginning with the theme for legalism uh, to creep in. And that is like, okay, yeah. God calls us to be holy, and so we need to we need to look through, find all the rules, and yep, we need to we need to honor all of the rules because God said we need to be holy. And well, oftentimes the the behavior is correct, the the doing good things, like doing good things, is uh, good regardless. Um, but oftentimes it's the attitude with which we approach this, and so we'll continue on and try and dive into yeah, what is that attitude? Um, so, uh, moving on, uh, continuing in verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from, the, um, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, and without spot. So this conducting yourselves in fear, um, it is not to meant to not meant to uh, be like a uh, a terror of sorts, a burden to um, to be despaired uh, about God's holiness. But I do want to invite you to to meditate on sin and the seriousness of sin because it is serious. Sin is what separates us from God. And God, being perfectly holy, cannot stand sin. And so when sin entered into the world, there was a, a separation between us and God. And we were uh, not able to um, yeah, fully live out um, our relationship with him because of that separation. And so to, to be somber in our attitude to sin and how we approach it um, should motivate us in how we live our lives. Oftentimes in the, um, the post-modernistic uh, Christian view, um, it is oftentimes centered around tolerance. And not a come-as-you-are-before-the-cross type of tolerance, but uh, Jesus loves you just the way you are. Type of tolerance, and both are very similar, but have very different connotations. Now, I'm not saying that 
God has a conditional love for us. That's not true. His love is unconditional. But when I say, come as you are before the cross, it means that God's love is accessible to anybody. That it doesn't matter, good or bad, or ugly. Um, that uh, everyone has the same opportunity, the same access, and the same way to come to the cross. But when you hear Jesus loves you just the way you are, it kind of makes you feel that you don't need to change. That God loves you exactly where you are, which is true, but it tends to make you think that you can just stay where you are. You can stay in your sin and still be accepted by Jesus. And though, like when we uh, read in Ephesians that Jesus died for us um, uh, while we were in our transgressions, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants to call us out of that. And so, conducting yourselves in fear, redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, understanding that sin is costly. It, it is so, so costly that um, Peter in the, in the text compares it to, to silver and gold, things which in normal day-to-day life we think is very, very valuable. That, man, if I could... Um, if I had enough silver and gold, I could, I could get whatever I want. But when it comes to sin, even things like silver and gold are complete garbage. They're junk. Worthless. So we were not redeemed by corruptible things, silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The hope of the gospel. Continuing on, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. This was God's plan all along, that he knew from before the foundations of the world that we were going to mess up, but he had a plan for that. When Adam and Eve sinned, he wasn't caught off guard. He wasn't caught on his back heels. Uh, I'm uh, a big uh, soccer player, and um, yeah, the, the number one thing is to, to always be on your toes, continuing on with that uh, girding of the loins of your mind, like being ready for action, being on your toes, not, not on your back heels, because when you're on your back heels and someone pushes you, it's easy to fall over, but if you're on your toes, you're ready to, to respond, to react. And so um, he was not, God was not caught off guard with our sin. He had a plan through Jesus Christ to bring us back. Um, and so continuing on, uh, was manifested in these last times for you, who through him, Jesus, believed in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God understands that we are incapable of perfection, that we have, we have fallen because of sin. And, um, yeah, it's not a, a good outweighing the bad sort of thing. It is, the standard is perfection, zero sin. And none of us have been able to meet that standard. And so, God makes a way back to himself through Jesus. And so, through Jesus' sacrifice, through this hope of the gospel, we can stand before God, uh, this, this judge, as it said in uh, verse 17, and we can stand before him confidently, knowing that we have placed our trust and our hope in the judge himself the, and uh, what he has done for us. Since then, in verse 22... 
You have purified your souls uh, through obeying the truth, uh, through the Spirit. Insincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So again, this, this idea of being born again of incorruptible seed. Our hope is placed in God all the way through. It isn't just in one moment where, uh, yeah, we were dead in our sins, we believe in God, and now from that moment forward, it's, it's on us. That uh, we need to continue on, live holy, in order to upkeep this, this promise of salvation. No, it's, it's been our faith in God, our hope in God, the entire way through. In uh, the beginning of the chapter, in uh, Justin's sermon, he talked about an incorruptible inheritance. An inheritance given by God. Our hope is in an incorruptible inheritance. But that inheritance becomes because we were redeemed by the incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ. And not only that, we, not only have we been redeemed, but we've been born again through an incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God. And so, though there is a call to action, though we are asked to come alongside Jesus in His work of the ministry, to live holy, be holy, for I am holy, that it's God who is the foundation through the entire thing. Our hope is in something from God, an incorruptible, unchanging inheritance, because we've been redeemed, by Jesus Christ, incorruptible blood, and born again through an incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. So continuing on, because, uh, reread uh, verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which the gospel has preached before you. And so we come to the end of the section here and see that the only worthy investment of our time and energy is that which is in line with God's word. King Solomon uh, wrote a book about this idea. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes um, essentially summarizes Solomon's uh, pursuit of pleasure that the world has to offer, to find fulfillment and meaning in the world, and coming to the conclusion that there is none. Except at the end, when he realizes that to fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all, for God will bring every work into judgment, including the secret thing, whether good or evil. And so, understanding that God calls us to be holy, for He is holy, because He understands that He created us in His image for His good work, as we read in Ephesians, because that's genuinely in our best interest. God has our best interest in mind. And in order to do that, he wants us to live according to his word. And the flesh in us is what finds that a burden. But fortunately for us, we have that hope that we are being sanctified, as it says in Hebrews, 
to this uh, eventual um, incorruptible inheritance where we will be perfected. And right now we have the Holy Spirit to be able to aid us in that, to um, yeah, give us the strength to uh, transform our minds to be more like him. And so coming back to our uh, original theme from the beginning, but I'd like to make a little change. And I think you'll see that they both uh, speak to very similar things. So before I said, living in accordance with God's word allows us to experience life in the fullness that he intended. But now the change is living with an eternal perspective gives us the ability to experience life in the fullness that he intended. And so you'll see that God's word has an eternal perspective. He's looking for that end hope, that end promise, and what is incorruptible, that inheritance that we have. And so God's word will point us to that, will point us to eternity, because uh, it's not going to point us to anything on this earth, because all flesh is as grass, the grass withers and the flower falls away. That it's, it's temporary. Anything on this earth is temporary, corruptible, it will pass away. But God's word is what endures forever. It has that eternal perspective. And if you think the other way, if you want to live with an eternal perspective, the only thing that will give you that eternal perspective is God's word. And so, while yes, and in the middle there, um, we had to, uh, yeah, understand and meditate on the, the somber reality of sin and how um, it is um, worrisome, burdensome, and would lead us to despair if it weren't for the hope of the gospel. That it isn't our own doing, our own works that give us um, an earning of grace, but that it is throughout the entire process God doing this work for us but not leaving us or allowing us to sit in our sin, but calling us to good works that he prepared for us. And so as we go out um, into uh, the rest of our day, the rest of our week, um, amidst all of this uh, COVID stuff, I think this is a fantastic opportunity for us not to be... Um, brought to despair through fear of the virus, of um, the way that the world is going, but to uh, boldly go out and, as he said in uh, verse 22, uh, to love one another fervently with a pure heart. And so being able to um, yeah, take this, understand that uh, we have an eternal perspective, though uh, things with the virus may... Um, be daunting today. Um, our hope isn't in today. It isn't in tomorrow. It isn't in any of this life here on earth. It is supposed to be on eternity when we will be purified, perfected, have that incorruptible eternal inheritance through Jesus Christ and that it'll give us a joy. And uh, as we continue on in First Peter, uh, we'll see that this this joy, being able to live holy, live the good life in the midst of suffering, will ultimately point those around us back to Jesus. And so, with that, um, yeah, I pray that you would 
meditate on uh, the ways in which uh, we can be living holy, um, but not allowing that to be uh, something that hangs over our head and is um, yeah, a burden on us, but instead would be something that uh, comes underneath and propels us into the good works that God has for us. With that, let's pray. Dear Jesus, yeah, we thank you so much for your promise and the hope that we can have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it is nothing that we have done to earn your grace, um, but it is uh, through and through your promise for us. We thank you that um, though you loved us while we were still dead in our trespasses, that you love us so much that you want to call us out of that, that you want the best for us. And the best for us is that which is in line with your word. So I pray as we we go out that we would continue to spend time meditating on your word, that we would um, try to know you more, um, that uh, it would be more than uh, understanding the things that you have said, but how your word uh, characterizes you and reveals who you are, and that uh, through that, we would be able to have a better relationship with you. Um, Yeah, continue to uh, be with those um, who are uh, putting themselves in harm's way uh, for um, helping other people uh, with the uh, first responders, um, medical personnel, and um, I pray that uh, any Christians who uh, are putting themselves in that, would be able to do so with joy, understanding that um, their hope is not in this life, um, but it is in what's to come, and that their joy would uh, attract other people uh, to ask questions, like, how how are you so happy in all of the craziness that's going on? And that they would be able to uh, say, because my hope isn't in uh, today. It isn't in uh, the outcome of this virus. It's in Jesus Christ. And, uh, yeah, we thank you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I believe we have one more song, and so I will turn it back over to Matt. Uh, but uh, thank you all, and happy Mother's Day. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.